Is it better for you to live or die? I don't know. Have you ever pondered the thoughts of death? This world and in our country, death becomes viable options for many of us. Man, it's so tough to live. Why is life so hard? There's so many times as a human being we think life has no purpose, life has no meaning, why am I here? And so death becomes an option. And the sad thing is, many people in our country take up that option. It's called suicide. I want to talk to you for a brief moment about suicide. Do you know the statistics of suicide? Since 1999... In the last 20 years, the numbers have gone up 25%. That's a large increase. So if there was 20,000 in 1999, now there's 25,000. That's crazy to think about. Listen to some more statistics that I got up here. The first statistic is this. Suicide is the 10th leading cause of death in the United States. It's top 10. That's crazy. But it gets worse. Listen to this. From the ages of 10 to 34, It's number two. There's only one bigger thing of death than suicide. From 10 to 34, suicide is the number two option for death. That's crazy. And here's the one that blows me away because today we talk about so much injustice with police and homicide and all of that. Listen to this number. This should shock you. Sit down if you don't know this. In 2018, they measured homicide versus suicide. Suicide was two and a half times the number. 18,800 deaths, homicide, 48,000 and some odd suicides. That's crazy to me. I can't even think about that number because too often we think that God uh, is not around and so suicide becomes the option. But here's what I want to do. For the next few minutes, I want you to know this, that your life matters, that you value, that you have purpose. And if you're contemplating suicide, I want to put up this number. I want you to know that there's someone here to talk to. I've sent hundreds of people to this line, but maybe you're too embarrassed. Reach out to us. Our staff on Facebook right now say, I'm hurting. Go to our prayer room and say, hey, call me. Somebody please chat and we will reach out to you as soon as possible. My email's Jeff at Journey of the Church. Dustin, Jeremy, Odell, Ashley, reach out to someone on the church website and we will reach out to you. Because you matter, you have value, and you have purpose. And here's what I want you to do for me. A lot of people go online and watch a message for a second or two, three to five seconds or a minute, but here's what I want you to do. If you're desperate, if you're lonely, if you're anxious, if you're feeling less than and you feel like your life has no value, will you join me for the next few minutes or the next 30 minutes and weigh the pros and cons of life? Our church journey, we don't promote ourselves that much, but we are a healing church. We are a church with real faith and real relationships, and we want to be real in your life. So today, the Apostle Paul is going to talk about life or death, but I want you just to hang out with us for the next 30 minutes and do the pros and cons yourself. Is life or death a better option? I want to talk to that student that female student that gave herself away to someone the other night and she's ashamed and embarrassed. It's not what she wanted. 
She hasn't told anybody, but she thinks like suicide's the only solution. She's mortified and people are making fun of her online or bullying her. I want you to know that you are valuable. I want to talk to that dad who's divorced. His family's in shambles and he doesn't have his kids this weekend. And he's just wondering, am I going to make it through the next week until I have my kids again? You matter. Weigh the, the, the value of your life because you matter. I realize death seems like an option, but life, life, life is the real answer here. Stick around and see what Paul says. You're going to find that this message, when he talks about life and death, when he weighs the pros and cons, he'll show you that life matters and he'll give you a reason and application. It's not my words, it's his. As we dig into Philippians chapter 1, verse 20 to 30, you're going to see that he has this this conflict with life and death. But you need to realize life is important. No matter what you've done, no matter what's gone wrong, no matter what's been taken away, change is possible. Real wholesale change. Now, I'm not just saying it because I saw it on YouTube or have a friend of a friend or an uncle or an aunt that has a son. I'm talking about real change in my own life. God has put his son on earth for me so that I can make major wholesale changes. And it's not overnight, but it's for uh, for me and it's happened over time. Through Jesus Christ, he's changed my life and hundreds of lives in our church, and he wants to change you. Read with us and stay with us for the next 20 minutes, and you will see what Paul says. Isn't it easy just to walk in this death mindset, this death spiral, thinking and pondering and wondering, is death really a solution? My mind quickly is fooled by the schemes of this world and by darkness. Darkness creeps in, and all of a sudden, the only solution is death. But the truth is, today, you need to understand life is the better choice. Life is hard. It's hard to speak about. If you're depressed, if you have anxiety, if if you're lonely, if you've done something and you're so ashamed, it's so hard to realize that life is, is, is good. And you have to speak life into yourself. And I realize it's hard. You have to think life is good. And I realize it's hard. And it's even harder to live. But let me... If you can't do it, speak a little bit of life into you and go to the light with me as we dig into what Paul says. I just want to stop and pray. I believe that's the solution right now. Will you join me as we pray and ask God for help? Oh, Lord Jesus, we pray. We need your help, Father. There's so many people that are choosing death every day. And Lord, we ask those that are hurting, those that are afflicted, those that are lonely, those that are depressed, those that have some sort of illness that's saying they need death over life, I pray that you will intercede for them right now and you will do something to change their life. A phone call, a text, watch this message, a word from God, something will be said to change their trajectory from death thoughts to thoughts of life for you, Lord. Lord, I ask that you bring people around that, that have the ability to bring um, us back to health. Lord, use your word, use your Bible, and use this time to speak life and to bring healing. In the name above all names, Jesus Christ, amen.
So today we're going to read 10 verses and we're going to talk about these verses. And in these verses, we're going to see what Paul says about this pros and cons of life versus death. Here's what it says in verse 20. And we're going to come back to this a little bit later, but it says, for I fully expect that's what Paul says, and hope that I will never be ashamed, but I will continue to be bold for Christ as I have been in the past. I have trusted that my life will bring honor to Christ, whether I live or die. Now, let me just put it out there. The apostle Paul is not thinking about suicide, but trust me, he's in a jail cell and there's people dying regularly. They're not going to court. They're not innocent before proven guilty. They're probably one by one being executed. So he's in a place of death. There's not life here. So he's wondering, is today the day I'm going to die? So life and death are a big issue to him. So maybe he's not contemplating suicide, but he can taste and smell and feel death because it's all around him. And here he's talking about life and death and having that contemplation. But just know he's not talking about suicide. He's just talking about his life and how death could be a gain or life could be a gain. Here's probably the main point of the message. And I'm going to say it a couple of times because I want you to walk away with this. Even if you don't remember the words, remember the concept. And here's what it says. God is most satisfied in you when you are most satisfied in him. God is satisfied in you when you are most satisfied in him. When you make him your satisfaction, he looks at you and says, finally, you're satisfied in me. And now I can work and move in your life. Too often we are dissatisfied and we are not content with what he's done on the cross and what he's done in my life. And we're angry and disgruntled and resentful and and we are distant from God. Paul wants us to be sad or God wants us to be satisfied. And Paul is telling us, be satisfied in him and he will be unsatisfied with you. Paul's not ashamed. I love Paul. He's not ashamed of being in this place of life or death, but he's bold. The actual word is eager, and it's a word that he coined. It's one of his words. He's only used another time in Romans 8, 17, and it really means this bold or this eagerness is this outstretched neck looking for a solution. He's saying here, I'm looking, I'm eager, I'm not ashamed. I'm looking for life even in a place of death. He's not ashamed. But I know that we're talking about life and death and we've talked about suicidal. So will you kind of digress with me for a moment as we talk about shame? Because shame is a killer. It kills people. Shame and guilt and and, 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 uh, all the ugliness that comes with it, it kills us. It just slowly trickles down from my head to my heart and to every part of who I am. And over time, the only solution seems to be death. A little bit later in Philippians chapter 3, we'll go through a whole sermon on this, but I want to show you what Paul is talking about, how people live in shame and use shame and how it destroys them. Here's what he says, and once again, in a couple weeks, we'll have a full sermon. It says, dear brothers and sisters, church, pattern your life after me. Pattern your lives after him. He's saying, listen, if your God's not working, if your life's not working, follow him, pattern it after him. And... From those who follow your example, he's basically saying there are people in this world that are living a good life, a life that makes sense and is worthy of the gospel. Follow them if your life is not working out for you. That's the first uh, first thing. Verse 18 says, for I have told you often before 
And here's where it gets me. He says, I say it again with tears. You can see the Apostle Paul weeping like I do in a Sunday service, crying to the church. He's crying out, and here's what he says, that there are many whose conduct shows that they are really enemies of the cross. You know people, so do I. They come to church. They even confess and call themselves Christians. Maybe you see them crying and worshiping, but they're really enemies of the cross. They're not part of Christ. They might call themselves that, but they're doing things the opposite of what Christ wants them to do. Paul says they are headed for destruction. I love this verse. The, their God is their appetite. For a guy that likes to eat and that he has a big appetite, everything that I consume is my God. They brag about shameful things and they only think about life on this earth. You know what? How many people had did shameful things this week to someone? They're bragging about it to their friends. But that shameful thing is destroying that person that you did something with. Oh, I hooked up with him or her. It was so awesome. But maybe that person is living in shame and contemplating death because they gave themselves away to something that they didn't want to do. Shameful things destroy. And the only thing we can't be ashamed of is God. Luke uh, 9.22 says, Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man, will be ashamed of them when he comes back. These are words that we need to understand. Shame will kill us. Shame will move us out of the will of God. But listen, we can't be ashamed of who God is. Even in in our country today, when God is becoming an afterthought or pushed aside or not important at all, we can't be ashamed to stand up and say, I'm a believer. I'm a Christian. I love Jesus. Even if we are ashamed of who we are, we can't be ashamed of God. What do we need to do then? We need to fix our eyes. Hebrews 12, 2 says, fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer, one breaking new ground and the perfecter of my faith. Here's the beautiful part. That's cool that he's the pioneer and perfecter, but here's what he does. It says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, and it says he scorned shame. He disregarded shame. In Christ, shame isn't an issue. He has destroyed shame because it's not part of who he is. And Paul's like, I'm not ashamed of that. I love that about my Savior. And even in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, he stands up on the rooftop and says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. And too often we come to a message. We're on the third week of January. We're already stopping going to the gym and working out. The diet's falling apart. Life is back to where it was pre-New Year. And we're ashamed of ourselves and our life. But we need to stand on the truth that we can't be ashamed of God. Even if we're ashamed of who we are, let his life be our life. And watch it spill out into our life and the lives around us. Once again, realize this. God is satisfied in you when you are most satisfied in him. When God is satisfied in you, When you're satisfied in him and he's satisfied in you, you know what he does? He paves the way. He sends the uh, fire by night and clouds during the day to lead you out of this hole and out of this darkness and into the light. Paul is weighing pros and cons, life or death, life or death, death or life. And someone that's online right now 
that's clicking through Facebook and they're like, maybe something will be said to me. Maybe you prayed and God's trying to reach you. Someone's listening to this message and it's crucial. Life or death. I want to tell you this, and this might hurt somebody today, but suicide is selfish. I've been through so much suicide in my life. And I've seen this selfish cry destroy families. It's worse than a nuclear bomb. It's worse than the atom bomb in Hiroshima. When someone commits suicide, the family never really survives. They're always kind of at the point of near destruction because suicide. And what I hear over and over again is that family pleading, I wish I had one more conversation with that person to let them know they were loved and this isn't the option. But Paul's not saying suicide. He's saying, and we're going to see that in 21, 22, and 23, that death is a gain. But what is he saying? Let's dig into that in a second. But I want to talk about where death is a gain in my life. I'm an addict, an alcoholic. Many of you know that. And in AA or in NA, when someone dies clean or sober, their death is a gain. It's a testimony to everybody that's in that recovery group going, oh man, praise God, so-and-so died and they died clean or they died sober. They did it the right way. They went out on their own terms. They did it when God called them. Because you know what happens? Too often, accidental suicides or suicides happen in recovery. Overdosing. Drinking too much. And they die. But when we die and we do it for the glory of God, we do it the way that we're supposed to, not by substances, but we do it by just natural causes or by the will of God, it's a gain. And I think that's what Paul's trying to say here. So I'm going to read these three verses a couple times, one with a death mindset and one with a life mindset. See what Paul's saying. Verse 21, it says, for to me, living um, means living for Christ and dying is better. Here he's saying death is a gain, but if you live, but if I live, I can do more fruitful work for Christ. So I don't really know what's better. And now you're seeing this pros and cons. Death's all around me. I'm locked up in chains. The, my prisoner friend just died a couple days ago. There's another one getting executed tonight. Am I next? Here's what he says though. I'm torn between these two desires. And here you see this selfish death mindset. I long to go and be with Christ. And he's like, man, I'm, I'm good. If I die, I'm going to be with my Savior. We've all had that mindset. And he says, but it's far better for me if I go. It's better for me, but is it better for the world? Death seems to be the solution. Christians do it all the time. Oh man, this life sucks. My marriage sucks. My kids suck. My job sucks. I'm in high school. Life sucks. Homework sucks. I just want to be dead and go to be with my savior. And I hear it all the time. And sometimes it's just rhetoric. But I think sometimes people really believe that. And Paul's answering this question. Death is a gain for me. But is it gain for the world? Is it gain for Christ? Life is really the answer. Life for Christ is the answer. Life for others and serving others is the answer. Life in Christ is our gain. It's the world's gain. You and your life have value and it will be a gain for Christ. 
Let's read 21 through 24 again and let's look at it with the life concept. For to me, living means living for Christ. Living is living for Christ and his gospel. And dying is even better. But if I live, I can do more fruitful work for God, for, for Christ, for the kingdom. If I live, I can be more fruitful and do the fruits of the spirit and live them out and be more fruitful for my friends and family. So I don't really know which is better. I'm torn between these two desires. I long to go and be with Christ, which is far better for me. But here's the clicker, verse 24. But for your sake, it's better if I continue to live. If you're watching and those thoughts in your head are there, it's better if you continue to live. And if you tell the person that you're the most angry with or your parents or your sons and daughters that you're contemplating death, they will tell you that you need to stay and they will plead with you. Usually we just don't have the guts to do it. When Paul says live, do you actually really know that he's saying you need to die? You need to die to the law. You need to die to self. You need to die to sin. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about life in Christ. It's not really life in the way that you see it. It's not, you know, eat and drink and be merry. No, it's dying to self. It's dying to sin. It's dying to the law. The law is not going to give you life. Christ is going to give you life and life everlasting. How do I know that? Well, Galatians, three times Paul talks about being crucified. The famous verse, 220, here's what it says. I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. I'm dead. I, my sin and my struggle and my things about following laws, that's dead. He says, the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave me himself. Galatians 5.24, crucified is, is a solution. Dying to sin and, 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 and uh, the shame of this world and the same in 6.14. He says it three times in that book to that church. And he says it to us. Now, all of this, living and dying, he's contemplating, comes back to verse 20 again. Here's what it says, and I want you to really think about what it says. For I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed. That's the beginning of this verse. But that I will continue to be bold for Christ as I've been in the past. But here's the real verse that we kind of skipped over for this moment. And that I trust that my life, living, will bring honor to Christ, whether I live or die. Living is the solution. Whether I live or die, Paul's like, no matter what's going to happen, the tr the God's going to be okay with me. If anything, he's going to be perfect with Paul because Paul's fought the good fight. He's ran the race. He's finished strong. But not all of us have. And some of you that are watching, that are contemplating, uh, checking out on the things that are speaking life into you, you need to realize that you have to finish strong in this world. But here's the important part. All that was done, everything, life or death, this whole contemplation was to bring glory to God. Paul's life and Paul's death brought glory to God, and it still does. This word, bring honor, is actually means magnify. You know what magnify is? I got a little magnifying glass. You see my eye? It's magnifying. This is what we're supposed to do. The Greek word is to magnify Christ. 
Paul's joy was to, that Christ was being preached. That was what we talked about last week. But now he's saying, my life is to bring joy by magnifying Christ, by the way that I'm magnifying. Magnifying is taking something and looking at it from a, a distance and saying, wow, look at that and how big it can be. Our job is to magnify Christ. Now, I want to sit here for a minute because, you know, I get all caught up in my own lingo and my own head. And too often I rush beyond an important point in the Bible and an important point in the sermon. I just want to take a break for a second. I want you to look at this magnifying glass and go, are you magnifying Christ or are you magnifying something else? We need to sit here and realize my life needs to magnify the things of God. If it's of this world, am I an enemy of Christ? That's a tough thing to understand. You know, one of the things that helped me magnify my life, I was thinking about our first Christmas Eve over 10 years ago. Uh, we were about two and a half months of doing Sunday service and we were growing daily. Our first service, we had over 80 people and then we kind of shrank to about 30, but we were trending upward and we got a new building at the Boys and Girls Club. We we're about two and a half months old and... Uh, we were really excited, but I didn't know really know what to expect. Christmas Eve was coming. It was our first Christmas Eve ever, and the church was kind of having some good momentum. I think the week uh, before Christmas Eve, we had about 45, 50 people, and we were like so excited. Wow, we got real people coming to our church. And so on Christmas Eve, you know, I'm this kind of uh, optimist. It's like God's going to do a great work, and so I set up like double the chairs. We usually set up for like 60 or 80, and I set up for like 120 people. I'm like, oh, I don't know if that's going to happen, but I know we're going to get a lot of people. And you know what happened? As the service was beginning to start, nobody had showed up. And truthfully, by the time I got up on stage, there was 20 people. And you know what? Of those 20 people, 14 were our family members. I had four people in my family, my mom and my grandma and my dad, there was seven. Jeremy had three, uh, there was 10 and then another family. The Fosses had a couple. It was just all our family and like three people that weren't part of the family members. And honestly, my heart sank. My stinking thinking came in and I started thinking negative thoughts. All the churches in Camarillo have hundreds of people. It's their biggest night and we can't even get but 20 people. I was crushed. I was, I was like, I'm a failure. I shouldn't be doing this. We're doing everything wrong. You know how we question everything and God doesn't really, he's not for us. He's against us. And then my buddy Jeremy came and he really magnified God in a way that has changed me forever. And I don't even know if we've talked about it in five or six, maybe eight years. But as I was heading up on stage and nobody was there, he came up to me as he's always done in my life, and just put his arm around me, and he kind of whispered in my ears. He said, and he spoke life to me. He said, Jeff, you've told me, and I'm telling you, that you, no matter how many people show up, we're going to preach. If there's one people or 1,000, we're going to preach. Don't worry how many people showed up. And that magnified God. He took God and magnified that heart, and he changed the whole uh, uh, mindset of my life and my ministry. It's not about how many, it's about who and who's magnifying God's heart. And it really changed me and it really became the church mantra. We've never worried about how many people show up and how much is being given. We worry about the one that needs to hear the message. 
That's magnifying God. And that's what Paul's trying to say here. Verse 25, knowing this, Paul says, knowing this, I'm convinced that I will remain alive so that I can continue to help all of you grow and experience the joy of faith. Knowing this, life is the solution. Knowing this, no matter how many people show up, I'm going to magnify God. I'm convinced that life is the solution and one is enough. Verse 26 says, and when I come to you again, you will have even more reason to take pride in Christ because of what he's doing through me. Through Paul and what he's doing and his choice of life. People around him, the church are going to take pride. I knew Paul. I loved Paul. What he did and how he stayed alive and the struggles and the trials he went through is something that we talk about still 2,000 years later. And we boast for the kingdom of God because Paul did it correctly. He lived a good life. He fought the good fight. He ran the great race and he ran it like to win it. And he did. And because of that, we grow. Now the argument, the pros and cons, it's it's over. He's convinced. Remain alive. Life is the solution. His joy, we talked about, is preaching Christ. If your life is about being joyful that the message of God is still going, that's great. But now Paul's saying, what are you doing with your personal life? Just because the gospel is being preached by someone else, that's great. But what are you doing with your personal life? Your life should be about helping other people. That's what life is about. And in this verse, he says, life is, the true life is about helping others grow and experiencing the joy of faith. Remain alive. Magnify Christ. Our joy needs to come from Christ being preached, but it also needs to come to watch others experience a life-giving God in their own life and then give that away. Watching others grow. This gift is a gift that keeps on giving when I give it away. Too often we keep it and we stuff it in our pocket or in our, in our console, in our car or in our bedroom and we forget to give it away. But when you give it away, oh, the joys of the Lord come true. Being a pastor and being in ministry, I get to see that all the time. I see the deaths and I see the divorce and I see the destruction. But what keeps me ticking is the joys of someone growing the joys of someone experiencing great faith in the midst of trials. And this year, or this past year, we've seen a lot of people thrive, not just survive during the pandemic. So what's your joy? What's your joy? When you think about joy, what is your joy? For some, it's about concerts, it's about Super Bowls, it's about life events, camping or outdoor activity. Oh, the joys of being outdoor and doing big things and big events. For some, it's about homes and cars and toys. Oh, the joys of things. For some, like myself, it's about drugs, sex and rock and roll. Man, that was so awesome. Really? Or for even others, it's just about marriage and family and kids. That's the joy. The truth is, the only joy that we should have is that the message is being preached and that gospel is being spread and I and others are growing and we're magnifying Christ. 
Yeah, and of course, you can magnify Christ in your family and kids and marriage. You can magnify Christ with your home and cars and toys if Christ is the purpose. You can magnify God by going to Christian concerts and doing Christian events and making your life uh, worthy of the gospel. Yeah, they can be joyful and they can magnify God, but you got to choose wisely, especially if you're in a depressive, lonely, distant relationship with God. You've got to choose cheap entertainment or real relationship with God. So here's the application. We're not done yet, but here's some application. Here's what Paul writes. Pursue life, pursue faith, pursue joy all to magnify Christ. That's that verse, those six verses in a nutshell. Pursue life, pursue faith, pursue joy, all to magnify Christ. I'm going to say it again. Maybe you're tired of it, but God is most satisfied in you when you are satisfied in him. And it's doing all the pursuing, life, faith, joy, and magnifying him. You know, the beautiful thing about the Bible, I, 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 I talk to people about the Bible all the time, and the beautiful thing, even people that are conflicted and have different faith statements and doctrine, they read the Bible and go, this is it. You know, Romans uh, 9.30, this is it. And I'm like, if you just keep reading, all of it's usually answered. And the Apostle Paul from 27 to 30, it's really one long sentence. It should be all together as one, but I'm going to, of course, break it down to show you the application. Paul gives us application to kind of magnify what I just said. Here's what it says. Above all, you must live as citizens of heaven. The solution is live as citizens of heaven. How? Conducting yourself in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. The first thing is to pursue life. Live as a citizen of heaven. Most of us live and are, are, are a citizen of the United States. And we live as a citizen, but is really that our goal? Is that really our purpose uh, my first and second amendment rights, that's my focus. That's my nationality. Well, if that is, there's a problem in your faith. And what we're to do is go above that and live as citizens of heaven, conducting ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. There's nothing wrong with being a, a, a proud American. And today, there's a lot of chaos and confusion. There's a lot of, 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 of conflict in our country, injustices. A, a, a lot of thievery, a lot of corruption. Whatever political side, you can give a word. And that's okay. But the text says, and the Bible says, and to have life, what it says is to live as a citizen of heaven. Our life was bought at a price, and it was by blood that we were redeemed. We have been ransomed by the blood of Christ, a, a cost nobody would ever give. And our life, our life is God's. This isn't your life. Who on earth said you could take your life? This isn't your life. This is God's life. You don't have that choice of life or death. You are a citizen of heaven if you believe. And if you don't believe, you can be. And you can be carried by the Holy Spirit into a beautiful, righteous relationship with God. My life should magnify my relationship with God. Mic drop. I could end. My life should magnify my relationship with God. That's the purpose of life. That's pursuing life. 
is my relationship with God. And if that's the number one thing in my life, my marriage, my kids, my mortgage, my car, all that other stuff will work out. If this is good, this gets worked out. Verse 27 continues, then when I come to see you again and only, or only hear about you, I will know that you are standing together with one spirit, with one purpose, fighting together for faith, which is the good news. The second part of this is pursuing faith. Faith is not what I see. Too often those that have the mindset that death is a solution, this world's not worth living, they're looking around and seeing things and saying my circumstances stink and my life is not worthy and I'm no good and what I see is not working. But that's not faith. Faith is what I believe in and what I trust and what things I can't see. And that's what carries me beyond these thoughts, these thoughts of stinking thinking or death thoughts or I want to out of this situation. Faith is about that audience of one. Faith is about God and only God. Faith is unique. Have you ever thought how crazy Christ is? Listen, there's people in the church that I would never be friends with at all. But what unifies them and what makes us friends is we are uniquely united in Christ. Different statuses. They're from this part of town. I'm from this part of town. They make this amount of money. I make this amount of money. They're homeless. They're millionaires. We're not supposed to be together, but in Christ we're unified. It's not Democrat and Republican. It's citizens of heaven. That's what makes Christians unique. We've forgotten that. Everywhere else in the world, it's like, oh, come to our place because we're like-minded. But in Christ, we're different. And we unify with one purpose, it says, with one spirit, fighting together for faith, which is good news. We need to pursue faith. There's a missionary. Uh, his name's Brother Andrew, and he says this. Simple. I'm a fool for Christ. Whose fool are you? I'm a fool for Christ. I'm sitting here speaking to you on Facebook, hoping someone's going to actually watch the message and check in and hope that life will change because of something like this. I'm a fool. Most people are flipping through this saying, this is stupid. Once again, another guy trying to tell me Jesus is the way. Well, I'm a fool for Christ. What are you a fool of? Because we're a fool of something. Verse 28 says this. Don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies. The people you're hanging around, they're your enemies. If they're not preaching life and preaching the gospel and pushing you towards a better life, they're your enemies. This will be a sign to them that they're going to be destroyed. Remember what the text said, that their appetite is their God. They're leading to destruction. Their shameful ways, that's antichrist behavior. But you are going to be saved even by God himself that is pursuing joy you are going to be saved regardless of what's going on psalm 23 at the end says there's going to be a table set before my enemies they're going to be led to destruction but in that i'm going to have a table and they're going to watch me be anointed and be righteous with god pursue joy that's easy to say i realize life is hard my life's hard the pandemic has been hard. It's been hard for every one of us. Our marriages are struggling. Our kids are struggling. Our schools are struggling. Our businesses are struggling. Our country's struggling. The churches are sick and they're struggling. It's hard for everybody. 
but it's even harder when you make it about you. If your life is only about you, it's going to be as hard as you've ever imagined because you yourself and and I was going to say you yourself and I, but me, myself and I, I'm going to be the struggle because I'm not the solution. If I were God, I would change my circumstances, but I'm not. I need a savior. Pursuing joy. Jesus over you or Jesus over yourself. J, Jesus, O, over. I forgot what it was going to say. And you yourself. Jesus over yourself or you will bring you joy. Now, I, need, I know some people think, oh, well, you know, I don't take care of myself and they overserve. Sometimes you need to make yourself a priority. And that's how Jesus works with you. That's a codependent message for some of you. But I just want you to know that when we put, when we make our life about us, we struggle. Here's verse 29. For you have been given. Everybody say given. If I was in church, we'd all say given. You have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege in suffering in him. We do this to magnify God. How do you magnify God? It's by trusting in Christ, even in the middle of the pandemic, even in the middle of a political upheaval. We trust him. And then we also suffer with him. This is how we magnify God. Our gracious father from heaven sent his son down to earth and now has the Holy Spirit working, knows exactly what my desperate soul needs. My anxious soul, my lonely soul, my deadly seeking soul needs. He knows exactly what I need. And it's not money. It's not promotions. It's not things. It's not relationships. It's not a magic pill. No, it's life. And my life can't be about me because I will destroy it. My life needs to be about others, trusting and suffering and and, and doing the gospel work with others. It's given to me and it's a privilege. It's given to me. I need to give it away and I need to live in the trusting and suffering because it's a gift. It's a privilege to trust in Christ. Do you realize that? It's a privilege to trust in Christ. If you're a believer and you call yourself a Christian, you should realize it's a privilege. Do you believe that? It's also a privilege to suffer for Christ and with Christ. Do you believe that? Suffering is the norm. Whoever told you life is easy, they're a liar. Suffering is the norm of life. And in Christ, it's a benefit for Christ when we suffer, as well as a benefit for us. And we've talked about suffering four or five times in the last few months. Suffering brings us assurance, gets away false hopes and false desires and brings us assurance. But listen to this. Suffering is the way God perfected his son. If that's true for Christ... It's true for you. If suffering is the way that God perfected Jesus on the cross and in the way that people treated him, it's also true for me. And that's how he's going to perfect me. And I need to magnify that. It's through trust and suffering that God is perfecting Christ in me, dying to self, dying to sin, dying to this world, dying to the law and magnifying Christ through that trust and suffering. So Paul's had this whole thing, life or death, life or death. And now verse 30, it shows you at the end reality. We are all in this struggle together. You have seen my struggle in the past and he has struggled greatly. And you know that I am still in the midst of it. 
At the end of this verse, he kind of comes to the realization, yes, the gospel is being preached. We talked about that the week before. And yes, life is the choice. But listen, even in all of that, I am still struggling. My life is not perfect, but I'm finding content in him. I am satisfied him. And when I'm when God is satisfied in you, you are most sad, you will be satisfied in him. When you are satisfied in him. Sorry, I jacked that up. So the end is life or death. If you've stuck around this whole message wondering, life is the answer. Death is about you. And trust me, if you're choosing that, it will destroy your family like nothing other. I know uh, uh, tens of, tens of, you know, I was going to say 100 plus families that have impact, having a death impact their life in a negative way. But life, life has got to be about me uh, working with my relationship with God and me working my relationship with God with other people. Life is a game. Life for Christ is the solution. Life about serving for others then becomes my purpose. Life is a game. Life for Christ is the solution. And life uh, serving others then becomes my purpose. So before I leave you today, before you click off, know this, that you matter, that you're important, that you have great value in God's eyes. And if you cling to him, run to him, uh, make yourself a believer in him, you will become a masterpiece because the Bible says you are a masterpiece saved by grace. You matter. You're a masterpiece. Say it. You're a masterpiece. You know, there's this song. Uh, uh, it's by Pat Barrett. And he sings this song, and it just is ringing in my head. It says, if it's not beautiful, God's not finished yet. If your life is not beautiful right now, God's not finished with you yet. Pursue life. Pursue faith, pursue joy, and let's magnify Christ. All of that to magnify Christ. If you're hurting today, will you do me a favor? If you're contemplating something about hurting yourself, will you call that suicide hotline or will you call the church and leave a message or go online and tell someone, hey, call me, I need help. Give a prayer request. If you can't do any of that, will you just get on your knees right now? And just get on your knees and lift your hand to God and pray, God, help me right now. Say it again, God, help me. And see what happens. Give him a second chance. Give him another chance. God's worthy. And he'll give you a ton of chances. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. I feel so much pain in social media and online right now. And I know you feel it way more than I do. And I pray right now for that one soul that's contemplating life. I pray that they clicked on at just the right time and they heard something that you said, Lord. And I pray that you will do something so powerful, a call, a text, a post, or something that will change the atmosphere in their heart and you will create new space within them. 
Holy Spirit, meet them right where they're at. And Lord, let Journey be a vessel to save that soul if they reach out. Let us answer the call, the text, the email, or whatever medium they reach out to, and let us speak life and life to the fullest in you, Lord. And I pray if someone's lost and lonely and distant, and they don't know God, or they, they don't understand God, but they feel like they need to do something different. Here's what I was told. Confess with my mouth and believe in my heart that Jesus is Lord. I become a believer by saying that. Do that with me right now and let God in and take over your life. I say it the same every week so that you can learn the prayer. Here's how it goes. Repeat after me if that's you and you're hurting. Father, forgive me. Forgive me of all that I've done and come into my life to be my Lord and Savior, to save me from myself. You died for me as a ransom for my life through your blood. I am right with God. You rose again three days later so that I not only am right with God, but I can live with God for eternity. I thank you for that, Lord. And I ask right now, Holy Spirit, come over my life, my body, my soul, and teach me how to be an obedient Christian from this moment on until I meet you in heaven, Lord. I love you. Lord, we thank you for this time. Use it to minister to this lonely world, this lost world. In Jesus' name, amen. Before I leave, I want to challenge you. Please put a prayer request in. Even if this message is not about life or death or that prayer is, put a prayer request in. Someone that's lost or lonely or depressed or anxious, let us pray for them. If your family or your issues are big, put it in the prayer request. We want to pray for you. Don't let this moment go by. We have people ready to pray. And if you need personal prayer, reach out. Say, I want to talk to a pastor and one of us will get to you as soon as possible. God loves you. God is with you. And God is for you now until the end of time. God bless you. Have a great day.